0: Good morning. Our last uh, message of this Lent series, we we started in about five weeks ago in Caesarea Philippi with Simon Peter confessing Jesus to be Christ, and we've been making our way to Jerusalem. Today is Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We only have a week before Easter, and so I had to choose someone to kind of focus on, and so chose Pilate. Some of you might be happy about that and maybe not, but some of you might not even care. But here we are. <laughs> this Friday, we remember Good Friday, and then on Easter Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the, the garden tomb. So please join us on those days. Since the that Sunday five weeks ago, each week we've been focusing on these various individuals on Jesus road to Calvary and so this week we press pause on Pontius Pilate and Pilate was a politician and how he felt the day Jesus was brought before him must have been so stressful he was stuck between a rock and a hard place and you've probably had this feeling of feeling trapped yourself sometime in your life and when we look at our own media every side of it, loves to expose the opposition's faults. That's what they love to do. And in our country, the conservative media loves to point out all the foibles of liberals, and the liberal media loves to point out all of the faults of conservatives, and they love making each other look really foolish. They love to mock each other. And so you'd think... Politicians would know how to navigate these waters and not get caught in these sorts of no-win situations, but often they don't. They often get caught right in these no-win situations, and they should know better what decisions to make or not make, but they don't. And so here we have this politicians whom all Christians know, Pontius Pilate, who was stuck between this rock and this hard place. He was really in this no-win situation, not because he was incompetent um, and he got caught in something, but this is all part of God's plan. Now, all four Gospels share about Pontius Pilate, and I encourage you to read all four Gospel accounts of the trial of Jesus this week. In Matthew's Gospel account, Matthew shares that the Jewish leaders have determined that Jesus needs to go, that he must die. And so they go through this judicial process of their own, which is illegal in their own court system. And the Jews, even though they declare that Jesus is guilty of blasphemy, essentially, the Romans don't care about blasphemy. They, they can care less about that. And the other thing is that Jewish courts were not allowed to execute capital judgment or capital punishment on those they found guilty. It was only the Roman judicial system that they can actually execute someone for crime. And so they know that Jesus needs to be charged, that Jesus needs to be tried and found guilty, not of the religious offenses, blasphemy, but that they need to charge him under a Roman court system and in order to get what they want, which is him dead. So they bring up this civil suit, the civil trial before Rome, charging Jesus for what? Treason. That he's a king. And so that treason is an offense that is punishable by death. And so they're thinking of how are we going to do this? Treason. He calls himself a king. So so let's do it this way. And so that's why they present Jesus in this way, treasonous against Caesar, and they bring this case before Caesar's governor. And they tell Pilate that Jesus believes himself to be a king, to be the one that we've been uh, hoping for, but not explicitly, because then you'll kill us, but that would overthrow you. And so on the authority of Rome, you, you're supposed to kill somebody treasonous like this. So how is Pontius Pilate caught between a, a rock and a hard place? Well, the Jewish leaders, they, they knew the Roman Empire's loss, which they themselves hate. And don't want to follow. And the Jews were oppressed by Rome. And if they could be set free from living under these oppressive laws, they'd do it in an instant. They'd they'd choose to do that. And if a Messiah appeared the way that they thought that the Messiah should appear, setting them free from the Roman oppression, they would have just gladly followed. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come to do this he came to set the captives free but not in the way that they thought they thought messiah was going to come and overthrow rome and and set himself on the throne and then rule from there and these jewish leaders really wanted that messiah and jesus didn't fit that that's not how jesus came and so they knew that their accusation of jesus declaring himself to be a king, would qualify as treason against Caesar, and a charge of treason would obligate Pilate to sentence him to death. And so these Jewish leaders, they they knew Roman law, they knew how it worked against Jesus. These Jewish religious leaders also knew Pontius Pilate. They knew his strengths, they knew his weaknesses as a governor. Now you go back into the story in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. This is something that was said about Pilate. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galilean whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And so this was when the Jews saw how capable of violence Pilate was when he squashed this revolt with violence and a bloody attack. And they've also had experiences with Pilate to negotiate with him and to compromise with him, and this is one of those times. This was one of those instances when these Jewish religious leaders would manipulate Pilate into doing what they wanted him to do. Pilate had the Roman law to enforce, and the Jewish leaders were pressuring him to do that. He also had this high-born wife to appease. His wife is a relative of the Roman emperor. And she had this higher social status than Pilate did. Pilate was known as a friend to Caesar, but only because of his wife. He, he married into the family. We'll take a look at John chapter 19, starting in verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So they're kind of rubbing that in, like, hey, remember, you're obligated. That's your family. Now, Pilate was in various positions of power and authority because of his marriage to his wife. That's how he got the position. Everything he had in regards to his power and position in life is because of his wife. The reason that Pilate is in Jerusalem instead of Caesarea, where he usually is, And there he has this 3,000-men garrison. The reason why he's in Jerusalem during this time is because of the Passover festival. Josephus, the Jewish historian, has said that during this Passover festival, over 2 million Jews would come into the city. And so this is a huge political flashpoint for the Jews. And so Caesar's like, you better go there and make sure everything's okay. I don't want any problems. There's 2 million of them there. So that's what he does. He goes there. Sanhedrin knows this. Religious leaders know this. And so there he is. And they're like, you know what? There's two million of us. If he doesn't do what we want, we're going to cause problems for him. And he's going to look bad in front of his relative. So they go first thing in the morning, and it's not a good morning for Pilate. He wakes up, and these guys tell him this stuff right away. Then... As he's off to work on his office and talking and stuff, his wife sends word to him. And so you can imagine, like, oh, your wife has something. Like, oh, wife, it's coming. And he says this, verse 19. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So you would imagine, Pilate, I better listen. Because this is my wife. Everything I have is because of her. So, okay, I, I, I'm waking up. So he wakes up, he's bombarded with these demands from the Sanhedrin. Then your powerful wife, who gets all of the credit for where he is in life because without her he wouldn't be there, tells you, Leave him alone. But how can you? Because you were sent to Jerusalem during the Passover feast where millions of Jews have gathered to make sure that the peace is kept and then you have these religious leaders saying you better do your job or something else is going to happen. And they're down his throat about Jesus and they're saying he's committed treason and you as the Roman governor are obligated to put someone to death who has committed treason against Caesar but your wife, Caesar's relative, tells you this. So in the words of a Very famous monk, Nacho Libre. Sucks to be me right now. Because what would you do? What would you do? You have these Jewish leaders on one end that can make things look really bad for you because they have power over these millions of Jews that are now in the city, while your powerful wife, who has given you everything you have in life and is a relative of Caesar. And can tell her relative, that guy's a jerk. Kill him. And he probably can. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. Now what do you do? Stuck. Now does this at all sound familiar? If you go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam is put in this position of power. He's put in this position of authority over the Garden. His wife, Eve has said she is choosing what she knows is contrary to the will of God and telling Adam, don't have anything to do with that righteous God. And so then Adam is stuck. She wants to deal with the righteous God, but then says he can't. And so it can just be easily the husband doing the same thing to the wife too, where a husband makes his wife decide between Jesus and unrighteousness. So you have these political pressures from the Sanhedrin, and you have these personal pressures from his spouse, and so it's just not been a good day for Pilate because now he has to make a decision. But like all people, he tries to do other things first before having to make a decision. And so the first thing he tries to do is is he tries to move this responsibility to someone else. It's not in this gospel account. It's in another gospel account. But he knows that Jesus is from Galilee, and so he hears that Herod, who has jurisdiction over Galilee, is in Jerusalem. Send him over to Herod. Oh, I got out of that. (laughs) Luke chapter 23, verse 7. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. So Luke gives us that perspective of those things so which is why we should read all four gospel accounts to get an idea of all of these things so Herod didn't find any of these charges that were brought against Jesus as valid and so he says send him back to Pilate now he's back to Pilate and Pilate's like oh hey because Pilate also doesn't find anything guilty about Jesus either and so he thinks like what am I going to do Let's just beat him. Let's beat him up pretty good. And if we do that and the people see him all beat up and bloodied and bludgeoned and everything, maybe they'll get off the case and then we're we're done. So let's just beat him up. So they flog Jesus. They bring him out. They show him to the crowd and he's beaten and bloody and everything, but it doesn't work because those religious leaders don't care that he's beaten up. They want him dead. So now he's thinking, oh, man, what am I going to do? I can't execute an innocent guy. Like, this is crazy. And my wife told me to leave him alone, but I already beat him up. Like, what am I going to do? So Pilate, being a politician that he is, he starts looking for other ways to get out of this. And so what does he do? I got it. There's this tradition that if we can let a prisoner go, and there is no way that they are going to choose this prisoner that I'm going to bring out to free, Barabbas, for Jesus. There's no way they're going to choose Barabbas over Jesus. So bring Barabbas out there. I'm out of this. We're going to kill Barabbas anyway. Not a big deal. All right, then we can set him free. So they do it. What happens? Doesn't work. He still chose Jesus to die. So there Pilate was, he saw this silent, beaten but dignified and poised man in Jesus whom he has said is innocent, whom Herod has said is innocent, and that he's righteous and he's done nothing wrong. But he still has a decision to make about Jesus. And here's the thing. So do we just like every single person on earth does, there is a decision that has to be made about Jesus. There's no way out of it. You have to make a decision. And the moment that someone has to make a decision about Jesus, it doesn't just sneak up on them. Because you have an entire history heading up to this moment when someone needs to make a decision about Jesus. And not everyone makes the right decision about Jesus. We saw that in these past several weeks. right? We, we didn't look at the rich young ruler, but that's one of those people that didn't make a decision. And so here we have Pilate also, who is forced to make a decision. Does he make the right one? Now, Oftentimes people are not prepared to make a decision about Jesus. There are, are pressures to give your life to Christ. There are pressures also not to give your life to Christ. And and so there are these implications to this decision. There are people who will be affected by this decision. There are relationships that are going to be affected by this decision because it changes everything in your life. This decision about Jesus changes everything for Pilate. It forces him to show people where he stands socially, politically, relationally, spiritually. It uncovers all of that. Where does his relationship stand with the people, with his wife, and most importantly, with Jesus himself? And so this is the most crucial moment of his life. This is the most pivotal moment of anyone's life. The decision you make about Jesus Christ. Just like everyone else on this planet. It is a crucial decision. It is a pivotal one that determines the rest of your life. And it's a decision that is made in just a mere moment. I mean, isn't this crazy? That this decision that you make in a mere moment has everlasting implications, forever, in a moment. And so here's this decision before Pilate, and he had to make a decision about Jesus. No matter how hard he has tried to get out of it, put the responsibility on somebody else, nope, it doesn't work. It comes right back to him. Somebody you love dearly and has given you everything is in your ear telling you to do something but then you don't know how to make that decision and you have the pressures from somebody else and so it's pressures from all over around but ultimately it is your decision. And you try to do other things to compromise the decision to say like, oh, this is close enough to me making a decision. Beat them up. But it's not. You still have to make a decision. It's tough. It's tough. There's no way out of it. You have to make a decision about Christ. There's no way around it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. That's it. There's no gray area. There is no third option. You're either for or you are against and this is Pilate. He doesn't want to make a decision for or against. He doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. In fact, that morning he was just hoping, like, please just have a peaceful day. Do your Passover thing and leave. Let me go back to Caesarea. Let me work my way up the political ladder with my awesome wife who's given me everything every, and all my positions. Just let me be. Let me be my person. But here... Whatever decision he makes about Jesus, it's going to cost him, whichever way he goes. But a decision has to be made just like it does for everyone else on this planet. And this is God's plan being fulfilled. All of the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Christ, here's one of them, Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus, our sacrificial lamb, not guilty, innocent, silent. And Pilate has a couple of voices in his head. One voice is the voice of God speaking to his conscience to reveal That person standing right before you is the Christ and he's standing in your place of condemnation. He also has this other voice. He says, you're fine. You're not guilty of sin. You've done nothing wrong. He's not the savior who takes the sins of the world away. He's he's not that. He's just a guy that is causing problems there. It's no big deal if you get rid of him. Who is he? carpenter's son from Galilee, like nobody even knows this guy. And he says, don't go there. It's too costly. That Jesus guy is too costly. You make a decision about that, it's going to cost you everything. And so we have these same voices speaking to this singularly most important decision of our life and it's a decision that only you can make for yourself. No one else makes it for you, and you can't make it for someone else, just you. Jesus came to take on the burden and the sentencing of our sins upon himself to bring us forgiveness. He came to take Pilate's sins and bring him to forgiveness and peace, and he offers each one of us the same thing. Now what happened to Pilate? We're not told what happens. Uh, There is a brief period where different historians have mentioned things about Pilate and Josephus has written about these things too, but pretty much even outside of the gospel accounts, there isn't much written about a person named Pontius Pilate that people even have said, oh, there's no such thing. He's just a made-up person. But then, unfortunately, there's this science called archaeology that proves that he did exist, as his name is on different things that are written out. So that's proven wrong, too. He did exist. So there are church traditions that have written about Pilate, and, of course, there are two stories. One story is that he received Christ, and dies a martyr. There's another story, that he didn't receive Christ, and he kills himself. That is essentially the decision that is before us, in that we are to receive Christ, or you end up in a place of despair. And it's kind of those two choices. That you receive an everlasting life with Christ or you end up in this everlasting place where there is an absence of hope. An absence of Jesus, that he is not there. That you don't have a definition of what love is. That you don't have a definition of what peace is because God is love. So you have no concept of what that will be because you will be absent of it, which is essentially hell, the absence of God. So we've looked at Jesus' relationships, starting with Simon Peter, we looked at the mother of the sons of Zebedee, we looked at Zacchaeus, Lazarus, Mary, Pilate, over this Lenten season, and all of them have some sort of connection with Christ and pointing now to your relationship with Christ. And this Holy Week, this Easter week, we reflect on Christ's death for our sins, and so join us on Good Friday. And then we look at the resurrection of our Lord, and so join us on Easter Sunday. And for this week, may we invest the time and the effort, and just pick up one of those sheets that can help you through this Holy Week, and and with readings, and prayer and meditation, to invest that time and effort with Christ this week to deepen our understanding of what it means to trust in Jesus and to live for his glory. Because we all have this same decision that Pilate had to make in regards to Jesus. You have to make it. There's no way out of it. You're either for Jesus or you're against Christ. May we we follow Jesus Christ, trusting him as our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, so powerful and all knowing, and yet willing to be humiliated and, and in such a humble place of being beaten by mortals, people you've created who are so proud to think that they can place judgment upon you, the creator of the world. I pray, Lord, that for any of us who have that element of pride within us to take it down so many notches that we can at least hear your voice, that you're speaking to those of us who are open-minded, open-hearted, open-handed to receive from you. And so, Lord, may you speak to them. May today be the day where people commit themselves to you. This moment of everlasting decisions. May today be that day. God, thank you for your patience and your love and grace towards us, even though we tend to walk so far away and yet you keep beckoning us to come back and offer us that forgiveness freely. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion together now, so if any of you want those elements, please hold up your hand. We can get that over to you. Um, If anyone is wanting, needing prayer, uh, we invite you to come up for prayer. Uh, Mike, who is one of our elders, is in the left front pew. He He'd be honored to pray with you. Jesus tells us to do this sacrament until his return. And in our church, um, we do this every week. There are other churches that do this, you know, every quarter, however, whatever their calendar is like. But we've chosen to do this every week as that remembrance. And so as we enter into this holy week, remembering what Christ did for us, the sacrificial lamb. We take this bread together. As that bread was a symbol of Christ being broken for us, there's also the fruit of the vine as a symbol of God's blood shed for us. We take this in remembrance of Christ and his sacrifice for us. Lord Jesus, even though these elements are so simple and it's something that we do every week, but may it not just be habit, may it not just be something that loses its meaning because it's done regularly for us, but may we stop and pause and reflect upon our own life that we took those elements onto our own selves and taken this sacrament in a worthy manner and so i pray god that that was done and we pray that if there are relationships that need to be mended if there's a forgiveness that needs to be extended that that would be on our hearts that we would work on those things in your name amen